You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We're going to start tonight with breaking details of a major theft in Vancouver that's going to have a big impact on young cancer patients. Dozens of wigs worth hundreds of thousands of dollars have been stolen, many set aside for cancer patients at BC Children's Hospital. Our Aaron MacArthur is live in Vancouver where it happened. And Aaron, it's pretty clear that the thief or thieves knew exactly what they were after. Yeah, they certainly did know exactly what they were after. This wasn't the case of just a routine smash and grab. The thieves actually broke in through a neighboring business, a juice bar that was under renovation. The thieves cut a hole in the drywall between the two shops and gained access to the storeroom of Eva and Company Wig Shop. There, they took 150 or so wigs and, as you mentioned, extremely valuable product, $2,500 a piece or so. Now, important to know here, the wigs that were designated for the cancer patients have no value, really. They're donated to the kids, and that's what makes this theft so hard to take. They mean everything to these people, uh, our patients or, or the clients going through you know, horrible phase in their lives. Um, and for the kids who, you know, without hair, it's been very difficult for them and uh, that they've taken that away for these, a lot of these kids. The suspect has been described as a dark skinned with noticeably curly long black hair. He was last seen walking away from the wig store, carrying a large black garbage bag and wearing a dem denim or blue jacket. All right, Aaron, this is a pretty unusual theft. Is there anything people can look for to identify these particular wigs? Yeah, the owner says this hair is very specific. Uh, cancer patients need what's called virgin hair, so it hasn't been processed at all. It hasn't been dyed or permed. Uh, cancer patients often have sensitive skin, so that's crucial for them. So you can notice the hair is, uh, it looks it's straight and has no chemicals in it. Uh, the owner also says the caps that she uses are quite a bit different and the product is a really high quality. Police hoping that somebody recognizes the hair or the suspect. This case, a priority to solve. Yeah, I'm sure. All right. Thanks for that. Aaron MacArthur in Vancouver. Now to a warning from RCMP about several recent violent incidents linked to a dating app. In one of the incidents, the victim was abducted and forced to withdraw money from an ATM. Nadia Stewart joins us now with the details. And Nadia, this warning involves the Tan Tan dating app, but RCMP say it, it can happen on any one of these apps. Yeah, that's right. RCMP are warning anyone who's using a dating app to use caution. Now, this time, the victims are young men. And as you mentioned, it involves an app called Tantan. It's very similar to Tinder, but it's in Mandarin. On September 8th, a 32-year-old man arranged to meet with who he believed was a woman named Stephanie. But when he arrived at the location in southwest Richmond, just after 7 in the morning, he was approached by two men and assaulted. He managed to get away. The next day at around 3 in the morning, a 23-year-old man from Vancouver also made arrangements via Tan Tan to meet with Stephanie at a location in central Richmond. Now, this time he was approached by three suspects and one of them had a knife. They forced him to drive his own car to a bank machine in the 3700 block of Seth Smith Road, where he was then forced to withdraw money from his account. 
The men took everything he had on him, including some of his clothing. Police are warning anyone using this and other dating apps to be careful. It could easily span any one of the many dating apps that are currently more well-known uh, in North America. Uh, that could include, you know, something like a Tinder app, uh, a Grinder app, any of those type of incidents. It, the same safety, safety message applies to all of them. Now, Richmond RCMP are investigating. All three suspects are men, and given the circumstances surrounding the two incidents, Chris, they are so similar, they believe that these two cases are linked. All right, Nadia, thanks very much. BC Corrections is warning the public about a high-risk violent offender who's being released from custody. Brian Kelly was released this morning after completing his sentence for an earlier breach of parole. The 27-year-old is 5 foot 8 inches tall and weighs 170 pounds. He must obey 23 court-ordered conditions, including not to consume alcohol or other controlled substances, not to enter any bars or liquor stores. He also cannot possess any weapons and he must abide by an 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew. Kelly has yet to decide which community he will live in, but if you see him violating those conditions, you should contact police. A former Surrey RCMP officer caught up in a creep catcher sting was back in court today for sentencing. Dario Devich pleaded guilty last month to breach of trust. Grace Key was at today's hearing and has more on what happened in court today. Grace? Well, Crown is asking for a one-year conditional sentence. That's to be served in the community. Defense is asking for a conditional discharge. Now, the more serious charge of child luring, that is expected uh, to be stayed. The former RCMP officer did address the court, holding back tears. He said he was deeply sorry to everyone around him for getting involved with someone I shouldn't have been involved with. To his law enforcement community, he said they all deserve an apology for my behavior and the negative life it has shed uh, for all of them, and for that, I am sorry. Devich sent pictures of himself in uniform to a person who said that she was 15 years old. That was through emails. Those emails were sexual in nature. The woman was, in fact, 30 years old. Now, defense is, defense is saying that Devich never believed that she was 15 years old. Crown says if that was the case, he failed to make reasonable inquiries about her age if he thought that she was older. Mr. Devich's position has consistently been that what he did was wrong, but at no point did he believe uh, that the person was underage, and there was a variety of reasons he felt that. Most compelling was the photographs that were distributed uh, as a person representing themselves, who was the person, who was a 30-year-old woman, um, was setting up pictures of herself where she definitely did not look anything under the age of 16. The Crown submission in this case was that uh, based upon the conversations reflected in the text messages, uh, the accused was aware that the individual was representing herself to be uh, under the age of 16. Either he was aware of that or he was recklessly blind to that fact. All right, so that was the sentencing hearing, Grace. Do we know when the sentence will actually be handed down? The judge is expected to be coming back with a decision on October 19th. Now, Devich has also gone through treatment, and he is not considered a risk to reoffend. He was discharged from the RCMP earlier this year as well. Sophie? All right, thanks for that, Grace Key in Surrey. Almost one year after a small plane vanished while flying from Penticton to Edmonton, 
Part of the mystery has been solved. The wreckage of the Alberta couple's plane spotted on Monday. Tanya Beja has more on where it was finally found and the many questions about the fate of the two people on board. Hidden among the trees of Glacier National Park, the wreckage of a plane that disappeared nearly one year ago. We were about a thousand feet up above the Trans-Canada Highway and we just got a split-second glimpse of something down below us uh, through the trees and uh, it just Paramedics and an air ambulance pilot were returning from a collision scene when they spotted the debris east of Revelstoke, meters from the Trans-Canada Highway. We were just in the right place at the right time and our eyes were just pointed in the right direction at the right time. It was very, very fortunate, I think, to get a glimpse of it. The 1963 Mooney propeller plane went missing last November. On board, 28-year-old pilot Dominique Neron and his girlfriend Ashley Bourgeau. The pair left Penticton for Edmonton but never made it to their destination. Family and friends posted flyers and scoured the area by helicopter, drone and snowmobile searching for answers. On Tuesday, Neron's sister posted online, My birthday wish came true. Our families cannot thank each and every one of you enough for embracing us during what's been the hardest 10 months of our lives. I think there's a, a combination of relief um, to finally have uh, that closure, uh, knowing uh, what has happened and, and where they are. Police hiked into the area, confirming the discovery of human remains, located only because the air ambulance crew say they thought of Neron and Bergeau daily and told themselves they would one day find the missing plane. It's been on everybody's mind, so it's um, pretty satisfying, pretty proud of the whole group here to be uh, just a part of that. Tanya Beja, Global News. In just under an hour, residents of Camp Namigans, just outside Victoria, will be under a court order to leave the park that many of them have called home for months. Since May, the number of tents here has grown to more than 100. Today, some residents started packing up their things, while others said they're simply going to set up camp somewhere else. Police, fire department and city crews have been on site all day to assist with the move, encouraging people to voluntarily comply with the court-ordered injunction. But for many, it will mean a lot of uncertainty. Sad. <laughs> you know, when you have nowhere to go, what are you supposed to do? Where are you going to go now? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> Maybe I'll go down to the city hall. They could choose to arrest everyone at 7 and bring in a bulldozer and just push everything into dumpsters, but in Canada today, I would hope that the police choose to continue with their plans, take a different approach than that. The park will be patrolled in the coming days. Fencing is expected to go up around it as well. Anyone who violates the court order could be arrested. Now, details just breaking of a fire burning near the hospital in Trail. Crews have been attacking the fire from the air, but you can see smoke from a quite a distance away. At this point, there are no plans to evacuate the hospital. There is no confirmation yet of how the fire started in the wooded area, but there was lightning there. We have calls out and we'll update you if we hear any more. So keep it right here. All right. Well, just when Surrey thought its light rail transit project finally had a green light, new concerns tonight that the long-awaited plan could be delayed again. That's right. Ted Chernecki explains how the municipal election factors in and if there's really a chance the plan could be derailed.
Light rail transit is cost-effective. Surrey's so-called L-Line could be up and running within five years. But, say critics, it'll be running at a capacity that's inadequate for Surrey's booming population. So we have all this funding committed towards a project that simply doesn't deliver. Essentially, this is not worth moving forward with at all. LRT has been operating in Edmonton and Calgary for years, and like those systems, Surrey's will have drivers, have the ability to change traffic lights to favour public transit, and will compete with other vehicles, fender benders and all. But TransLink believes there's a time and place for light rail, and that's now and in Surrey. It works in a lot of places worldwide, and I think we in the city of Surrey need to continue to work with residents, taxpayers, the people of Surrey, to, so that they understand really what Surrey's vision is. The Surrey Board of Trade heard all the reasons why LRT is better than SkyTrain if it's integrated within a very specific land use plan where riders will be taking these trains to jobs within Surrey. But a former MLA and longtime Surrey resident has been asking questions south of the border. In Seattle and Portland, they said if they have a choice of having the system underground or above ground, would be better. I said, why? They said many times the pedestrians are going and hitting those light rails or streetcars. With a civic election next month, a pro-Skytrain mayor and council could try to switch tracks and send this project in a different direction. We believe that the Surrey LRT plan has to be sent back to the drawing board at all costs. If this project were, were stopped, um, it would be years years before Surrey would have a rail project. City center to then there's that other project, an LRT line from Surrey to Langley. That is not set in stone. And even TransLink admits the option for SkyTrain will be reviewed. But that would cost about $900 million more. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Well, Keith Baldry is live in Victoria for us right now. And Keith, there's another reason this plan is unlikely to change, and that's how the program or the project is funded. Yeah, a lot of people, I think, are under the mistaken impression that the provincial government is somehow involved in fu funding the Surrey LRT. That's not the case. The big announcement last week with John Horgan and Justin Trudeau sharing the stage saw the province commit to building SkyTrain on the Broadway line. That's what the province does. It builds SkyTrain. It doesn't build LRT lines. So for people in Surrey to talk about making the switch to SkyTrain would need the provincial government to come on board. They've already made the decision that in terms of priority for the uh, near future, that money, $1.8 billion, will be spent on the Broadway subway extension. That's a SkyTrain line, not on Surrey LRT and not on an extension from Surrey to Langley on SkyTrain. That's still years away. Chris? Sounds like it. Okay. Thanks, Keith. Well, as expected, the annual meeting of BC's municipalities is focusing on legalized pot, with the province's cities and towns looking for their share of pot revenue. But as Richard Zussman reports, it looks more and more like that revenue might not be the windfall many people had expected. It's one of the big questions on the minds of municipal leaders here at the annual UBCM conference in Whistler. How are they going to deal with the legalization of recreational marijuana and how are they going to pay for it? That's why there's a resolution on the floor here to debate whether municipalities should get 40% of the pot revenues from the province. Kerry Jang is leading the charge for the municipalities and he says there are a lot of costs facing the municipalities. It's really important that, you know, for legalization to work, that the roles of the federal, provincial and municipal governments are actually well-defined, which they are now, but also that each, each level of government is well-resourced in order to, to actually do what it has to do. Because if there's any slippage or if one level of government can't do its job, legalization won't work. 
The provincial government at this point is considering it. It's in the hands of Finance Minister Carol James. But Public Safety Minister Mike Farnworth says those revenues aren't expected to be as high as originally thought. The big reason? There just won't be that many stores in British Columbia. Global learned today that there have just been 70 permits requested for the private cannabis stores. And it doesn't mean that they will necessarily be approved. This is an issue that stores are going to open as communities are in a position to deal with them. That as we have the supply of cannabis to be able to supply the stores. And it is going to be a process that is going to take, you know, two to three years. There will also be provincially operated recreational marijuana stores. So far, just one of those has been approved in Kamloops. Farnworth is optimistic it will be up and running by October 17th, the day pot is legal in Canada. But beyond that, it's unclear whether there will be any more at this point. Richard Zussman, Global News, Whistler. A violent attempted robbery has destroyed part of a salmon arm bank just before five this morning. Thieves tried to blow up the ATM at the salmon arm savings and credit union. But despite doing extensive damage to the front entrance, the credit union says the suspects came out of this empty handed. Someone obviously is looking to get funds from an ATM and they're finding creative ways to do so. No one got inside the bank. The personal information of customers was not accessed and no one was hurt. We've been following the efforts off the B.C. coast to save the young orca known as J-50. And unfortunately, the latest news isn't good. Attempts to treat her with deworming medicine have failed. And as Linda Aylesworth reports, experts are now considering even more dramatic options, including getting her to a hospital. Being an aquarium veterinarian requires a knowledge of myriad creatures, even bats. Occasionally, Dr. Martin Helena's work takes him away from the Vancouver Aquarium, like when he comes to the rescue of sea lions tangled in debris. It's tricky work, but nothing compared to his latest mission, saving the ailing southern resident killer whale known as J-50. It's a slightly different matter for a moving animal at sea that doesn't spend much time above the surface at all. Seven times now he set out in search of the emaciated young female. That indentation behind her blowhole is called peanut head syndrome, a sign of starvation. She is in such poor body condition that every other whale that's ever looked like her has already passed away. Dr. Helena has managed to dart her with antibiotics twice. Another veterinarian succeeded in giving her deworming medication, but to no avail. J50's health continues to decline. So it's very difficult to, to get a diagnosis just from observing from afar. The samples that we can take include blowhole um, aspirations, looking for bacteria, fungus. Which is why consideration is being given to capturing J-50. The possibility isn't being taken lightly by the Department of Fisheries and Oceans and the U.S. National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. The only circumstances they would take such action would be if she becomes stranded on a beach or... If she is separated for a long period of time and showing obvious signs of, of decline, sudden decline, um, then placing her into some facility where she can be assessed, examined, diagnosed and hopefully treated would be the priority. There's not much more they can do for her now, but leaving her to die, which is a possibility, would be perhaps the toughest decision. There are only 75 endangered southern residents left. We want to do the very best we can to find out what's wrong with her, treat her successfully, and reintroduce her back to her family as quickly as possible. Linda Aylesworth, Global News.
On the 17th anniversary of the 9-11 terror attacks, a new tribute, a tower of wind chimes in Pennsylvania to honor the heroes of Flight 93, who stopped one of the hijacked planes from reaching its target. The tower now holds eight chimes, but will eventually have 40, one for each passenger and crew member, each with its own distinct sound. U.S. officials say they have pinpointed the most likely suspect behind those so-called sonic attacks on U.S. diplomats in Cuba, which also affected Canadian diplomatic personnel there. They say their investigation has led them to Moscow. The mystery, who or what caused American officials living in these Havana homes and several hotels to suffer headaches, dizziness, and some serious brain injuries similar to a concussion. Last year, Cuban investigators told us they would never allow their territory to be used that way. But now Russia is the leading suspect, NBC News has learned, according to three U.S. officials and two others briefed on the investigation. Evidence, they say, backed up by highly secret communications intercepts collected during a lengthy and ongoing investigation involving the FBI, CIA, and other agencies. U.S. officials also tell NBC News investigators now believe the Americans were deliberately targeted. This is not an accident, and those who, who think this is some sort of rogue operation, I think, are, are operating in a fantasy world. The State Department says it is still investigating. We have not assigned any blame, and we continue to look into this. Why would Russia target American officials, the leading theory to disrupt President Obama's opening to then-Cuban leader Raul Castro. No comment tonight from the Cubans or the Russians. The young woman who was abducted and held hostage 16 years ago is blasting the decision to release one of her kidnappers six years earlier than expected. 72-year-old Wanda Barzi and her husband Brian David Mitchell abducted Elizabeth Smart and held her hostage for nine months. Barzi will be released next week after the Utah Board of Pardons and Parole announced that it had mistakenly not given her credit for time served. Smart, who is now 30, says it's incomprehensible how someone who has not cooperated with her mental health evaluations can be released into the community. Shares in a Canadian-based mining company are soaring after it hit the mother load in Australia. As I watered the dirt down, and it was just gold everywhere, as far as you could see. Miners for Toronto's Royal Nickel Corp discovered boulders embedded with nearly 9,000 ounces of high-grade gold. Geologists say it's a once-in-a-lifetime discovery. Once it's processed, the Golden Hall could be worth as much as $15 million Canadian. In Health Matters tonight, BC scientists have made a discovery that could improve fetal growth in pregnant women. As Catherine Urquhart reports, the SFU researchers say purified air could be the key. Michelle Mahar is 26 weeks pregnant and doing everything possible to have a healthy baby girl. When you're growing another life, I think it's very important to, you know, take your health and every, you know, exercising and do everything possible to make sure that it's a happy and as healthy a pregnancy as you can have. When air quality plummeted in August due to forest fire smoke, it worried her. As I parked and going from my car to the office, I could feel my breath kind of shortening a little bit, even for that small distance. Her concern's well-founded. SFU's Ryan Allen just concluded a study on the role of air purifiers on fetal growth. 500 pregnant women took part. The women who used the portable air purifiers during pregnancy 
gave birth to babies at term that weighed on average about 85 grams more than the babies uh, born to women who had not used the air purifiers. That weight difference, about 2.5%. The study was done in Mongolia, where the air is very polluted. If women are concerned about exposure to air pollution, um, this is something that's, that's available to them. Vancouver Coastal Health's Research Institute agrees with the study, saying it provides evidence supporting the benefits of reducing exposures through the use of room HEPA filter air cleaners. If you're ingesting it, your child's ingesting it, so it's important to make sure that you are taking care of that and yourself. Like Michelle, many pregnant women likely now considering the benefits of an air purifier. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. In other health news tonight, an unusual but important recall to tell you about. Kangaroo Manufacturing has recalled its super cool slime products after Health Canada testing found they don't meet safety requirements for boric acid content. That acid can be toxic if it's licked or ingested and can have long-term effects on development. The products being recalled are original slime. The kid-friendly named Emoji Poop and unicorn poop slime and glow-in-the-dark slime. If you have any of these, throw them out or return them to the store immediately. Guaranteed to be replayed on the Jeff O'Neill Show tomorrow morning. And a U.S. study has found that banning peanuts from classrooms might not be an effective way of protecting children with allergies. The researchers found that banning nuts had no impact on how often school nurses had to give children emergency epinephrine. They believe it's because parents simply aren't aware of which products might contain traces of peanuts. The rush to get away from the U.S. East Coast has reached frantic levels as more than one and a half million people flee Hurricane Florence. Most frightening, the Category 4 storm is expected to stall when it makes landfall as soon as Thursday and then lash the coastline for days. Tonight, the rush is on to get out. From the Carolinas to Virginia, more than a million people are desperately trying to outrun Hurricane Florence. How terrifying is this storm? Yeah, it's uh, something that I've been dreading since I moved here. In South Carolina, authorities closed this highway in one direction, all lanes now leading west away from the massive storm that's ominously churning in the Atlantic. This is the incredible view from Noah's Hurricane Hunter. Just look as the plane reaches the eye wall, the blue sky clearly visible. We are in a, a very deadly and important game of chess with Hurricane Florence. In Myrtle Beach, yeah, Hurricane Florence, bring it on. There's a rush on sand. Maria Nichols is using it to protect her home, but tonight she's bolting to higher ground. It's important for us to evacuate. We don't need to take chances. We don't need to put personnel on the line to come and try and save us. We need to go. Still, not everyone's fleeing Florence. Lorraine and Mark Taylor decided not to heed the mandatory evacuation orders. Uh, these are just sandbags. Instead, they plan to hunker down in their retirement community and check on their neighbors. Why are you staying? Well, I've been through a lot of storms and we feel like that this is uh, our home. A home now in the path of the most powerful hurricane to threaten the southeast coast in more than 20 years. Gabe Gutierrez, NBC News, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And dramatic, Im- dramatic images from Japan of an eruption of Mount Fuji. The rest of the apocalyptic simulation 
and why it was created right after the forecast. We'll check in with uh, Christy Gordon right now. Has been keeping an eye on Florence and a really clear picture of that eye of the storm, Christy. That's right, 65 kilometers in diameter, Chris. You can see it's just menacing looking. The entire storm, 650 kilometers. It's a powerful Category 4, still targeting the South and North Carolina coast. It will weaken to a Category 3 just before hitting the coast. Nonetheless, Thursday, late Thursday, still expecting winds up to 225 kilometers an hour, but it's really the storm surge and the rainfall that's going to be most catastrophic with storm surge up to four meters, rainfall up to 800 millimeters, and some isolated pockets could see an excess of 800 millimeters of rain. Now, just to give you a perspective, at Vancouver, we see through the entire year, 1,150 millimeters. So 800 is about 75% of that, give or take, and they'll see that in two days. That's an incredible amount of rain. Uh, Now, in Abbotsford, we had an incredible amount of rain today, but not nearly that. We had some isolated thunderstorms roll through that region today. Uh, we saw one small one in through the Burnaby-Coquitlam area as well. But everything is weakening now. Still a chance of showers this evening and overnight. But it has meant for a beautiful scene. I've had a lot of people send me photos of rainbows, thanks to my Aunt Jody in Squamish for that one. Now, uh, we also have been talking about snowfall. The snowfall warning is still in effect. This was this morning in Fort Nelson. Although further south, the snow has not moved into Fort St. John or Dawson Creek. The rainfall has begun, but we're expecting it to change over to snow later on this evening as temperatures drop. So the majority of the 5 to 10 that's expected will happen overnight tonight and especially in through the Pine Pass area. And it will finally ease off for you by about noon in the Fort St. John region, so drier later on. Prince George and Quinell could see some wet flurries overnight tomorrow morning as well before temperatures warm up and changes over to showers. We'll see showers and a risk of thunderstorms again across southern BC. Same for the south coast. So very similar to what we saw today. We'll see that again tomorrow. Temperatures staying cool all week long with scattered showers right through until Sunday. And I'll just leave you with this beautiful shot. One last rainbow uh, from Burnaby there. Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Get enough of the rainbow pics. Thanks, Christy. Well, the last eruption of Mount Fuji was more than 300 years ago, but the Japanese government is still preparing for another one. Using computer simulations and science-based estimates, a government panel is looking at the effect of falling volcanic ash, which would likely throw the Tokyo metropolitan area into chaos. The council is discussing a previous estimate that up to 10 centimeters of ash could coat the city. Mount Fuji is an active volcano, but its last eruption was in 1707. That one lasted for 16 days and piled four centimeters of ash near present-day central Tokyo. That would be problematic. Mm -hmm. I'll say. Right, the winner of the 2018 P&E Prize Home announced live on the NewsHour last night and finally got to see it today. Welcome to your new home. Again, thank you very much. <laughs> We're it's excited to have you here with us today. Unbelievable. Yeah. I think he's still in shock. Vancouver's Keith Edwards was on a ferry last night when he got the life-changing phone call and got back to the mainland this morning for his tour. Now, he can't move in quite yet. The house will be dismantled and then moved to the Okanagan. Disbelief. I mean, it's like... Uh... Uh, I never thought I'd be able to own a home and 
uh, just I've never won anything more than maybe a hundred dollars or something before. So, uh, fifty dollar investment paid off big time. Uh, I've gone to the PE, you know, throughout my life in Vancouver and um, bought PE home tickets every once in a while, but never really thinking I'd win. And so it's just a, a dream come true. All right, Squires here with the uh, sports talking Whitecaps. We'll talk a little Whitecaps because uh, we're getting down to the short strokes, to use a rowing expression. Uh, because of a lot of lost points earlier in the year when they were getting draws instead of wins at home, the Whitecaps are now in a never-ending cage match, to use a wrestling. I'm <laughs> <laughs> getting all my sports mixed up. That's a wrestling phrase. Anyway. It's a never-ending cage match to make the playoffs. They are right now one point behind Seattle, which holds down the final postseason spot in the West. The Caps have seven games to go in the regular season. This Saturday, they are at home, and they are playing the Seattle Sounders. Sounders make that. Obviously, Vancouver would love a win. A tie? That wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but a loss certainly would be. It's the biggest game of the year. Uh, it's against Seattle. It's a rivalry game, and what more can you ask for to have it uh, at your home place, at BC Place? Mosquito, he's not afraid to try one. What you can ask for is more winning results like the last one the Whitecaps delivered at home. Vancouver beating San Jose 2-1 to remain a point back of Seattle for the sixth and final playoff spot in the West. We know how important it is for them. We know how important it is for us. Uh, and we know where we are in the standings as well, and we're all sort of grouped in a little uh, huddle. Um, Two of them are above the playoff line, we're below the playoff line, but we've got to play the number of the top teams. So we can play spoiler, uh, we will try and play spoiler, and if we can, then obviously we can get into that top six, which will be against probably everyone's judgment. Saturday's match has all the makings of a classic Cascadia clash. Vancouver's undefeated in their last seven MLS games, while Seattle's on a league record eight-match winning streak. Vancouver has seven games left to play, with all but two being against clubs currently in a playoff spot. A win against the Red Hot Sounders would go a long way towards making the playoffs a loss, and you can probably kiss the postseason goodbye. What we do know is we've got a seven-game season, you know, and that's the way we're breaking it down. It's one game at a time, and we need to try and finish in the in the top half of the mini seven-game season um, to try and get in that playoffs. And you know, there's not many people who give us a chance to do it. If I'm being honest, I said to the group in there, so we'll, we like proving people wrong here at this football club. Sorry, I got a little crazy with the makeup earlier. Powder oh, was everywhere. Did you notice a problem there? Uh, no, but our director did. Uh. Uh, <laughs> Alfonso Davies will get paid very well when he becomes a member of Bayern Munich next January, but if he could have gotten a percentage of Nike sales after the advertisement he was in, he'd be set for life right now. The ad, which of course was centered around Colin Kaepernick, increased online sales for Nike by 31%. And as we know, the Whitecaps teenage star was in it. And the ad celebrated his rise from refugee to soccer prodigy and making Canada's national team at 16. Davies was back with the Whitecaps today and had his first chance to speak about being in the ad. So let's first take a look at his part in the commercial. If you're born a refugee, don't let it stop you from playing soccer for the national team at age 16. Yeah, I mean, it's a strong message um, The Nike. Like, Nike, you just do it, you know. Anything you believe you should be able to achieve. So me being part of that is an amazing opportunity. It also adds to the growing legend of Alfonso Davies because if things go well at Bayern Munich for him, 
All the Whitecaps players that are around him right now will tell these kinds of stories forever. It's super cool. Uh, you know, just just from a fan's perspective, not even a teammate or a friend, just a fan's perspective. I remember, uh, and I was actually thinking this when I saw that commercial, I remember congratulating him uh, when he scored his first goal at... Uh, Kansas City? No, no, not oh. even then. At Thunderbird Stadium for... Uh, it, was, it was the USL game. And I remember... Uh, sending him a message being like congratulations and that's that's less than three years ago and now he's in a one of the biggest and you know most controversial nike commercials um and, it, and it's and he's in it and he's being talked about and he, he's he's globally and he's known by the world which is which is awesome steve eisman has stepped down as the tampa bay lightning gm but he'll continue to advise the club he has been their gm since 2010 and he's built a pretty good team there with good drafting and good trades but his family always stayed in Detroit when he was working in Tampa, so he liked to be closer to them, which, of course, leads to the speculation that maybe one day in the very near future, he takes a job running the Red Wings, where, of course, he had a Hall of Fame career as a player. There are many thousands, many hundreds of thousands of Seahawks fans and a number of Seahawks players who are still upset that Pete Carroll decided not to hand off the ball to Marshawn Lynch in the dying seconds against New England in Super Bowl forty-nine. They passed instead, and the pass was picked off. Last night, all of those despondent Seahawks fans watched another beast mode moment and probably relived the end of that Patriots game. Raiders, Rams. How many players is Marshawn Lynch carrying over the goal line? And getting a push! Like, if you look at the replay, there's one guy hanging on his ankle, one guy jumps on his back, a bunch of guys are trying to push him the other way, one guy's trying to take the ball out of his hands, strip it out of his hands right there. None of them can do it. He pushed the entire Rams roster the final four yards for a Raiders touchdown. Oh, it's just power. I love the beast. There you go. Good. A live play-by-play of a store owner tracking down his stolen property is getting a lot of hits online tonight. It all started with the theft of a dirt bike, and Kylie Stanton explains how social media became a tool to get it back. This video capturing a theft in progress triggers an alert. I have surveillance that's connected to my phone, and uh, these guys had broken in. They cut the front gate of the lock, uh, came in, grabbed the motorcycle. Dustin Hofer watches it all go down in disbelief, carefully contemplating his next steps. I was scrolling actually through Facebook, so what I did is I turned on my live video and I just started chatting. Uh, we woke up this morning to our cameras going off. He fills the viewers in on the situation. They stole a motorcycle. Before launching into a social media plea for help. Please like it, share it. So I actually asked people if they could uh, put their heads together, put their minds together and uh, see if anybody knows these guys or has seen this vehicle. The video, along with the surveillance, was posted to Pride Motorsports' Facebook page. 33,000 on that one there. Viewed, liked and shared over and over again. It's 24 hours in, we had about 500 tips. One of them, from an anonymous source based in Vancouver, led them right to the thieves. They set up a meeting under the guise of buying the bike back. We're live. We're about one minute away. Once again, capturing every step. You guys are on camera. The police are on their way. Thank you very much. She's running away as we speak. You know, it was actually a pretty scary feeling. The three of us that were in the truck, uh, we agreed that if anything were to get hairy or violent, that we would leave. 
but police are warning against this kind of vigilante justice. What they didn't realize, they're dealing with a property that's well known to us. They're known for criminal activity and they're also known to use violence in the criminal activity. So they're putting themselves in harm's way. We don't want the public to do that. An officer was called and responded to the scene. And while the individuals are not cooperating and charges are unlikely, Hofer has accomplished what he set out to do. Check it out, baby. We got our bike back. Woo-hoo! But he knows he couldn't have done it alone. This is all credit to social media and the folks that shared and liked our video. Thank you guys for sharing. We really appreciate it. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Amazing what uh, a live stream can do. In fact, we've got one going right here of somebody live streaming what's happening in trail because right. of the fire in the hills just above the trail hospital or the hospital in trail. So we're going to keep an eye on that for you tonight mm. as well. All right, final word on the weather, Christy? Sure, so we're expecting a similar day tomorrow. Um, scattered showers tomorrow. We may see some breaks of blue sky. So it'll feel bright and seem bright in some areas, and then other areas may get a downpour of heavy rain or a thunderstorm. Um, still rain expected Thursday morning, staying cool with showery uh, weather expected through the weekend. Thanks for keeping the rain away for almost all of the CKNW uh, Kids Fund golf all. tournament yesterday. It was perfect. Enjoy that sunset. Good night. What's that? We're all together.